Candace and Ariel are not final girls. Candace is second to last at best. And Ariel is probably the killer. This podcast is intended for ghouls, haters, and Wikipedia summary readers. Listen on at your own risk. Welcome to our twisted mind. If it's not a good look, why do I wear it so well? Pardon me, I missed a your pretty face for someone else, but you just have to do because you see it's getting late. everybody i'm candace you know you already know i'm candace i'm here with my co-host ariel hi and from the dark underbelly of the world that you never even knew about this is not your final girl and we are here today with author Haley piper hi Haley. thanks for hi, hanging out thank with you us. for having me <laughs> oh, of course thank you for saying yes yeah hell yeah um Haley is the author of a new book called Queen of Teeth, and it's um, gnarly body horror and some cool sci-fi, evil dystopian science kind of shit, mm-hmm. and exactly up my alley. You know, we love body horror here at Night Your Final Girl headquarters. <laughs> yes, <laughs> true. <laughs> and I'm really, I'm so excited for our double feature today because it mm-hmm. like really plays into that. Yeah, it does. So, um, yeah. <laughs> before we get into that, um, before we get into our double feature today, um, Haley, could you please tell us what is your first important horror-related memory? Oh, that's that's tough because there's it's it could either be the first like adult horror movie that I accidentally saw, which was um, the Unnameable, uh, oh, based ooh. on the Lovecraft story, which is a total sleazy 80s horror movie with like full frontal nudity and blood and like people getting their heads cut off and I was five and (laughs) wow um but it could also be that I had this doll uh that was like it was like this little guy um like probably three feet tall and around then is when trailers started playing on TV for like the child's play movies. Um, so I was terrified of my own toy. And that might have been that was probably earlier than that. I was probably two or three. I don't know why we st- I, I threw the doll under my bed, which my mom said didn't make sense. Like, why would you want to if you were afraid of something? Why would you throw it under the bed? <laughs> I don't know. Why don't, why didn't she save me from it? <laughs> but so, yeah, it's one of those two are probably my earliest uh, horror, important horror related memory. That's amazing. Wow. Poor timing <laughs> to have a creepy doll when the doll stuff comes. <laughs> yeah. Wow. There was just like a lot of creepy doll stuff happening at that, at like in the eighties, at least it, like when was. like child's play, I mean like poltergeist. poltergeist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm that, that dolls more. movie. Like there's a lot of oh, yeah. dolls in my like early childhood. 
Yeah. Sorry, my cat in the... So I don't know if you heard that at all, Haley. I did. <laughs> speaking of creepy shit, um, my cat decided to just... Uh, play the piano. Play the piano. So that's what that scary sound was. Sorry about that. Just to add some horror to this moment. It's cool. Yeah. Anyways, it's cool. Well, sometimes you can hear my cat like yelling in the background. So it's like a little cooler if they're <laughs> striking creepy piano notes. <laughs> Uh, he doesn't normally do that. So I think he just wanted to freak us out. Yeah. But yeah, I, I really actually love being introduced to Lovecraftian horror um, when you're very young, because uh, I feel like we have a lot of Lovecraft type and inspired horror in today's double feature. Oh, yeah. So I feel like it goes pretty well. Got some cosmic horror going yeah. on for sure. <laughs> yeah. So um, our double feature today is John Carpenter's They Live from 1988 and uh, Dark City from 1998. And I'll say, honestly, I had never heard of Dark City before. Same. Um, really? Yes. Oh, my goodness. It's it. I adore that movie so, so much. That's <laughs> uh, so funny. Yeah, I felt like a little ignorant when I was like, OK, They Live is rad. And then when you paired it with Dark City, I'm like, OK, this I'm pumped, but I've, I just had never heard of it. Yeah. Um, like five minutes in, I was like, oh, I can completely see why these movies go together. So it's very exciting. Um, also, I mean, we'll get into Dark City. I, I kind of thought we could do They Live first. Um, yeah. Just because everyone kind of knows it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's uh, iconic and all that. And um, yeah, I feel like also, I don't know. I just feel like it goes first. Sure. Um, no, I agree. Cool That's what I was thinking too. Nice. All right. So <laughs> Haley, what? Okay. I feel like I know this answer, but like, uh, what, uh, inspired you to pick this particular double feature? Um, well, I kind of had my new book queen of teeth in mind and, um, also just our world in general these days. Um, both of these movies feature a society that's extremely controlling, in some ways that are obvious to the characters, um, just as a general societal thing, and in other ways that they have no idea about whatsoever and they discover over the course of the movie. You don't have, you don't have real choices. Um, it doesn't matter where you go or what you do. Your life is decided by these external forces that um, you're not even completely comprehending until you know, our protagonists uncover things um in the movie and i mean i kind of write with that in mind a lot of the time anyway um especially for like i know neither of these are coming of age but especially when i write coming of age horror is it feels like that but also in general like um just especially with my new book queen of teeth where just the law enforcement the political stuff the corporate stuff, it is all just extremely, just this constant clutching of everyone's lives. And that feels like a lot with these movies. And it feels like a lot of stuff today in real life, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that is really nice about like, yeah, Queen of Teeth, like feels like it's at the, at its forefront, it feels like, you know, there's like all this kind of body horror happening and like, um, that kind of monster stuff like yeah. uh, monster fucking also which <laughs> um obviously we're huge fans of yeah. but yeah it's true that there's like this undercurrent this whole time and it's so subtle that I really love that that like 
they just uh, occasionally in the narration something is just mentioned that you're like oh okay okay yeah I forgot we're not living like in yeah like our actual like current day yeah the world building is really fun but it all makes total sense yeah especially with like what the kind of control that we already know that exists like when they mention the different cities there's like different cities where like this the control is different and just like you're like oh wow okay and different states you know Mm -hmm. like america's even more compartmentalized than already is yeah there's like kind of a weird like confederacy thing going on yeah there's like five states in that world that have essentially turned into theocracies Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah oh my god no i love that world that world building is fun (laughs) i don't know if you want to write more in that universe but it's like it was really cool to to read well, there is um, in the Lost Contact anthology coming out from Perpetual Motion Machine Press, um, I think in November, mm-hmm. um, there's a story, Life, my story, Life Begins at Injection, tells about the events leading up to the Kentucky incident from Camille's point of view. Wow. Um, so okay. there is more already coming. Awesome. <laughs> nice. Well, yeah. So I guess uh, leading in, we have, first of all, John Carpenter's They Live. Obviously written and directed by John Carpenter. Um, <laughs> it's if you have not heard of this movie, it is about Nada, a down on his luck drifter, um, inadvertently discovering a box of sunglasses that allow their wearer to view the world as it really is, a propaganda-ridden dystopia ruled by bug-eyed extraterrestrial elites. Love to see it. You love to just, see it. I just mean, like real I life. Know, <laughs> <laughs> yes. You love to see the world as it truly is. A hellhole. What do these things want, and why are they here? You still don't get it, do you, boy? They have recruited the rich and the powerful. They're running the whole show. Wake up! They're all about you, all around you. Blinded us to the truth! Take a look. They are safe, as long as they are not discovered. I don't know what they are, or where they came from, but we gotta stop them. Stay away from me! Put these on. They have us! Look at them! They're everywhere! We have no other choice. I don't like this one bit. Leave it alone, man. It ain't none of my business, ain't none of yours. We have been lulled into a trance. Listen to what I'm saying to you. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. Control us! You're sending some kind of signals on TV sets. I've got one that can see. Mama don't like Tattletail. Now we start spilling some blood. Let's go! Push I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick And I'm all out of bubblegum. watched this movie in high school actually um it was like one of those kind of cult movies I was really drawn to those when like especially like as a teenager and I kind of thought like re-watching it that I was going to like find some like deeper or more subtle meaning going on in it but it's like pretty much just uh this message is pretty much just like right out there um but it works so well despite being like very um very overt i Mm -hmm. guess 
I kind of hate how well it works considering it's been over 30 years since that movie came out. Like you see them demolishing the shanty town and it's just like nothing has changed. Nothing has changed since oh my the late God. 80s. And that's like it I think yeah. I don't even know um like from the context of like it's made in 1988. I um I wasn't born yet at that time so like I wasn't necessarily like aware of that but I'm like was that supposed to be like kind of extreme at that time but like now it's just something that you can watch someone having recorded with their phone like every day. I'm not sure like I I but I know that like I know that stuff was happening in in like LA and such at the time but I don't I mean I was three so I wasn't also was not aware of what was going on at the time but like I know that stuff did happen but I don't know if it was like something that people made a big deal of or not um I think they were distracted by the kinds of things that we continue to be distracted by which is constant crises and you know, mm. wars and whatever other crap the governments and co- companies decide to do to, you know, keep keep everybody exhausted. Yeah. yeah. Well, I kind of was wondering the same the same thing as I watched. And um, luckily, luckily for all of us in this conversation, my boyfriend's old. So <laughs> he was able to tell me that because um, I, I asked that I was like, is this was this dystopian at the time? Was this like a dystopian LA scene and not like he was like in LA at the time I don't think but he was like no this is like this was like a critique of like Reagan era politics and just kind of yeah. the nightmare hellscape of like that time but you're right it works um depressingly well for I mean like I one of my notes during watching I mean like in in our very city like we have issues all the time like just a couple months ago um there was a homeless encampment that um they didn't give proper notice on um which I mean, it's fucked up at all to get rid of it, but they didn't even get proper notice and they just went in and, and trashed it. So, yeah. I mean, I'm like, this is relevant to our immediate present and it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's also kind of funny. Cause like when I was first watching this, it would have been like in the Bush era and yeah, to me, yeah. it's like, like, whatever, like 15, 16 year old, I was like, yeah, <laughs> it's just, yeah, it just Ugh. never changes yeah yeah so this was actually written um based on a short story which um i actually wasn't aware of a short story called eight o'clock in the morning by ray Nelson, which is from the 60s actually so it really oh god forever always been relevant and then had been adapted into a comic just a couple years before the movie came out and i'm just dying to read the comic now (laughs) yeah that'd be cool i haven't read the short story either i didn't i didn't that's news to me so geez yeah. <laughs> and then we'll find out that was based on a newspaper article from the 1920s or something. And <laughs> it just keeps going down the rabbit oh hole. God. Well, yeah, I mean, really, a lot of this kind of stuff is inspired. Like, like both of these movies, I think, are pretty heavily inspired by Lovecraft, who um, and I mean, in general, like kind of just the godfather of cosmic horror and that sort of um that sort of like uh, I don't know, like archaic and um, ancient really evil know. kind yeah, of yeah, like kind of esoteric, like evil kind of shit. Um, and I mean, I don't really know. Like, I, I think everybody who's been on the internet in the last five years or so knows pretty well about Lovecraft's social views. It was a uh, like wasn't even really like a product of his era. He was like especially racist. 
for the time. So, um, so that's kind of interesting too, that like this kind of comes from um, like a legacy genre, like invented by someone who was, um, I mean, I don't really know like what his views were like outside of obviously being super racist. Yeah. Do you know anything else about Lovecraft's like bio- biography? Like, was he actually talking about this kind of shit or was he just like tentacles are fucked up? I don't actually know the deep, I'm not, I, so my confession, and I've read a, a lot of cosmic horror and I like a lot of cosmic horror, but I'm actually not a huge Lovecraft fan. And I've read a lot of him to, to make sure that I wasn't. There's like one story I like of his and it's not even cosmic horror. It's called The Rats in the Walls. And it's like fucked up, but it's not really like Lovecrafty. So Damn. I can't tell you. Yeah. I don't know. Haley, do you know much about Lovecraft's like background? Um, based based on uh work like um oh now I can't remember the name of the story, <laughs> but it's what the ballad of Black Tom is based on uh, oh. by Victor LaBelle. Okay. Um, yeah. the, the horror at Red Hook. That's yes. What. Based on that, I don't imagine Lovecraft was terribly sympathetic to um, anyone below what his, whatever his societal status was yes. at the time. Um, so I don't, I, although the secret alien stuff like might have been something that would you know click with him, I doubt that he would care that it had to do with the elites and such. Mm-hmm. He. Lovecraft is one of the alien faces. Right. The twist. He is the reptilian. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I feel like this is just like a really alluring kind of story in in a lot of ways. It's something where I I was just kind of thinking, it's so funny that we were, I was watching these movies this week because I uh, I work in a middle school in the library and a kid came in earlier this week and asked me for books about the reptilian tribe. And I said, Oh, like the conspiracy theory. And she said, Oh my God, you know about them. And I was like so excited <laughs> that I had heard of that. And I was kind of like thinking, I don't know what I say to someone in this circumstance because like, she's like, she's young and I don't want to encourage her being into that because it's so, it's such a cover for, creepy reactionary and like anti-Semitic right. uh-huh. so like yeah. but I do completely understand the impulse to like look at the world and be like I it feels like something insidious and evil is mm-hmm. controlling all the shit around <laughs> me and like it, you're right on some level so like on some you know like it's like thinking like oh yeah all the power elites are secretly evil aliens is like like resonates so much but also like it resonates for everybody. Like it in, becomes QAnon. Quickly. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So it, it resonates with people and like adopts like their worldview. So people who are super right wing also take that on. And I'm like, I don't know how to like talk to a child responsibly about yeah. this. <laughs> so it's so funny that like I don't know. I'm in watching they live right. I'm like, oh yeah. And here's the reptilians. Like it's kind of the same concept. Yeah, for sure. Haley, when did you first watch this movie? Uh, I hate to say it, but this year. No, you. That's listen. Same it's a great space. year to watch because it. honestly, it's the <laughs> same. I saw it. Uh, I mean, during the pandemic, and so I don't know if it was this year or last year, but I, I just recently saw it. I'd never seen it before either. No, so it might have been last year. In that case, yeah, I can't keep track of that stuff either. Nope. Um, but yeah, it was. It was either. It was during the pandemic, definitely. It's. It was a good 
my mind kind of went to it immediately. You know, it was like, oh, mm-hmm. it's time to watch They Live, the perfect <laughs> movie for our time. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and many other times. Yes, as we're finding out. And all other times, yes. <sighs> yeah, that's, um, <laughs> speaking of, I guess uh, John Carpenter said, quote, Lovecraft wrote about the hidden world, the quote unquote world underneath. His stories were about gods who were repressed and who were once on earth and are now coming back. The world underneath has a great deal to do with they live. So I guess, I mean, he definitely did draw inspiration from Lovecraft, but also, yeah, if you, like we were just saying, like, you know, no shame or whatever. Um, I mean, I know we talk about a lot of these movies that are like horror classics and like some of them we have never watched before we talk about them for the podcast. I know, Mm -hmm. I know I've definitely watched a few like kind of classics for the first time. Um, And I really like horror. So I don't know. You can't have seen everything. I mean, maybe you can. Some people have like seen. Some people seem to. It's just the thing is like a lot, like some people act like, oh, there's only this many good horror movies. (laughs) It's like, that's not true. There's so, so many good horror movies Mm -hmm. dating back from the very beginning of film as a medium. So it's just like, no, it's really hard to see all the classics because there's so many that you can say are a, are classic and are still worth watching. Yeah, totally. And I mean, you know, like so there's plenty that I like, I'll go down a niche. Like I love woods horror. So I'll watch everything in that genre, good or bad. <laughs> I don't care. You know, so it's like there's oh, plenty yeah, there's, to watch. <laughs> right, there's plenty. Then there's plenty of ones that are classics and not great that True. you just like, yeah, going to watch it because it's it is it is famous for a reason or it is just something that you love like there's so so much Mm -hmm. um across the board so it's just like no it's it is really hard to see everything I just mean because I'm the one who picked the movies (laughs) and it's if you think that's like oh you know this was something like that I watched it back in high school or something it's like no I've heard about I've been hearing about it since high school yeah and I've seen been seeing references to it ever since I got on the internet yeah but um, I just hadn't gotten around to seeing it until until recently. Yeah. And I do kind of feel like if you've seen a lot of references to They Live, it's like I said, I don't feel like there's a lot of like deeper hidden meaning in this movie. It's mostly just out there. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you're going to see the glasses stuff. You're going to mm-hmm. see like and like the, you know, obey. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is your God type of stuff. And people will make memes out of that and such they've been doing that <laughs> since the since you know the beginning of the internet and, um or uh what is what does roddy piper say i'm like i'm here to <laughs> oh. uh kick ass and chew bubble gum and i'm all out of bubble gum yes like, i have heard i've been hearing that since i was little yes <laughs> so funny he Before really does say that like right after this movie. he just goes fucking bananas like, oh lines. yeah or even what's the other one he says uh life's a bitch and she's back in heat like i swear to god he just had these wrestling <laughs> like phrases on lock you know i had no i didn't know the first time i watched this i didn't have the context that roddy piper was a wrestler because i wasn't familiar with professional wrestling like at all yeah so it's super it makes so much more sense especially that there's a a five minute fucking fight scene scene in the middle (laughs) oh yeah i love that scene (laughs) i love that scene honestly like a lot about this movie like we were saying like it's not exactly subtle in its um analogies but it's just got such style like it's uh, so john carpenter obviously but just everything about it is like stylistically perfect yep I mean, it and it and it 
I think the actions in the movie go with that too, because, because uh, Nada is not subtle either. Like you said, like he, he gets the glasses on and he's, he's probably got those on for just a few minutes before he just goes completely mm-hmm. off the rails with like fighting and guns and stuff. <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking about him. Like when he does get those sunglasses on, he's in the grocery store or whatever, and he just pops off and then he sees someone what what is it she's like adjusting her hair in the mirror or something and he like fucking he's like don't waste your time that's like putting lipstick on a pig like something so mean (laughs) oh my god yeah he's he's pretty funny he just he does not have a filter that's for sure yeah he like immediately rampages which i appreciate (laughs) and i mean honestly okay so one thing that i i had thought about this time that hadn't probably occurred to me before was just that like I appreciate that they made their like his ma- their main character a homeless guy because it just it kind of makes a lot of sense. He's not got much to lose. He literally has no possessions by the time he puts on the sunglasses. That's the only thing right. that he has. Yeah. He had a backpack before, but the encampment got raided and like that's gone now. Well, and they have the juxtaposition of Nada with his friend Frank, right? Who has something to lose like he has a family Mm -hmm. and he keeps mentioning you know like it takes a while like he has to have the glasses like forced on him (laughs) that's what the whole giant fight scene is about it's just put on the glasses and he won't fucking do it and and it's like (laughs) it's because like he's like i think he knows like i think on some level because he actually i feel like nada starts out really naive in this movie he's like he has that whole conversation with frank where he says um, I don't remember the words, but it's something like, well, I'll just, um, you know, I'll just play by the rules and stuff like that. And soon I'll get mine. Like what's, I'll get what's coming to me. I'll get my paycheck. And, he and Frank's looking at the skyline him. and says, I believe in America. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And Frank's kind of looking at him like, no, like he's not going to have the conversation <laughs> with him, but he's like, no, but so like, I'm on some level, I feel like Frank understands way more than Nada. But then because of that understanding, he's like, I don't want to know. Like, I want to remain ignorant. Right. The, de- the determination Nada has about, like, him putting on the glasses, just like, this is something yeah. I can't come back from. Yes, exactly. Like, the, the ethical um, imperative he'll be faced with. Like, he's like, I, I know what choice I'll make, and I don't want to make that choice. Which, honestly, is a good call, because, like, RIP Frank. Am I right? Right, yeah, right. That was yeah. fucked up. Oh, man. RIP so everybody. Sad. Yeah. <laughs> true except the aliens i mean you know because her eyes are too blue it's fucked up (laughs) okay yeah that's fun fact about her eyes they're really that way that's so upsetting to me so her um (laughs) that actress um so she meg foster yeah meg foster um she got i guess i don't know if it was an award or just like this was the nickname given by mademoiselle magazine the eyes of 1979 <laughs> um and filmmakers like had i guess she said in an interview that um filmmakers in the past or whatever ha- had they've asked her to wear contacts they made her wear contacts to tone down her eyes because they're too distracting they're like people are gonna think you're evil you they're need too to, powerful you need to have normal eyes <laughs> take down your cyclone like you gotta put sunglasses on these you're gonna burn people alive with your laser eyes yeah wow I love her. I think she's hot. Oh yeah, no, totally. I just, it's just, it's so funny. It's like you, it's weird to me to hear that they'd like they'd hire her, but then not want 
to utilize right. you know that distinguishing fe- feature it's just strange it is strange it is wow but john carpenter uh you know he's like no this is perfect yeah We're john carpenter knew how to use those <laughs> eyeballs he was doing some he was doing some stuff with vision in this movie yeah that's maybe maybe that's why the, yeah. there's also we oh have that's a good point preacher too huh with the blind street preacher um yeah there's a lot the with sight in this yeah. just the the whole i mean yeah Pro, pro, you're right not nothing nothing super deep about it but it's a consistent metaphor throughout mm-hmm. i thought it was interesting speaking of the preacher i don't know what you all thought about it um i have a deep cynicism when it comes to organized religion so i thought it was such a strange choice to have kind of that center of the revolution coming from a church well it was also pointed out to me that if you want to have a secret base of operations for your um, underground resistance, a church is probably not a good place to do it because people will just walk into a church. <laughs> That's true. It seems like a pretty at the open same time, it's one of the few things. At, at the same time, it's one of the few things that has some kind of like little bit of immunity from the government, technically. Oh, true. Huh. You're right. I hadn't thought about that. But I just thought, like, for me, it's like, well, that doesn't that mean they're in cahoots with the government? Like, that's my brain. But <laughs> right. I mean, and it depends on it depends on the area. But for a lot of people, like a church is like more of a community mm-hmm. thing than an organized religion thing. So there's it's you know, it's layered it's, mm-hmm. like it's complicated relationship with that. Yeah, I like um, the scene where the, the the preacher catches Nada in the place. And the first thing he feels for is his hands. And when he knows he's a working man, he can trust them. It was an interesting moment. Uh, yeah. 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 And that is kind of, I mean, I suppose they have like made the church seem slightly less sinister in just the fact that they are genuinely helping yeah. the homeless people in the encampment. That's true. I mean, and it is like, I guess it's a good, there's definitely like the theme in, in this film of like, looking out for yourself versus like the good of like a greater good and a church is a good uh i don't know center for that conflict to happen you know because they are kind of supposed to be looking out for the greater good yeah and i mean another reason why i really liked i mean uh, I, i liked that they made their main character a homeless person because yeah like you i do feel like you just start out with the people who are kind of on the fringes it's like film society a lot of stories don't fucking do that i've i've thought a lot about how like i think it would have been really easy to write this main character as a person as like basically frank right who has like a a family and a home and yeah um you know like starts out having stuff and then loses it and then has to come to terms with this but i i just appreciate that in the Mm -hmm. same way actually um kind of like jumping off of that that i um appreciate the main characters um well, the the protagonist of the worm and his kings, Haley's book, mm-hmm. um, being <laughs> a homeless person. Yeah, and it does like that book also like that story also kind of like pops off uh, really quickly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean my my thing with that is so much about what happens in that story can't happen if society doesn't just let people drop through the mm-hmm. through the cracks and just doesn't care about them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and and I felt like I felt like this movie was even like had had an even stronger approach to that though because it wasn't just like not caring it was like it was purposely <laughs> punishing people for having fallen through the cracks 
Like, it's like you, like, you know, this society did this, but then it's like, well, it's your fault that we did this to you. So now we're going to punish you for it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and Roddy Piper had, like, when he was younger, he actually did experience homelessness. So he had talked about, like, it wasn't hard to get into the role because he had had that, that framework just in his personal life. I think about a lot, like there's a lot of conversation now, which I think is like important conversation and good that it's being had, but of, um, you know, particularly like casting in films and also like authors and that sort of thing of just like, Hey, if you're going to speak to a particular experience, it'd be really great if you, um, you weren't whitewashing or whatever the case were, were, you know, like you might want to cast someone who actually has experience with what you're talking about. Um, and so it's just cool because this was this is just an older film that just was quietly doing that. Like it didn't have to it just it's not hard to do, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yes. It's cool to know that they yeah. did that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um well I was um I normally bring up um what did Roger Ebert have to say about our movies, or if the movie is post Roger Ebert, what his uh <laughs> I don't know, ghost in the form of his website <laughs> has to say, but um, I don't think he reviewed this one, um, which is really weird because hmm. um, if you look up like his reviews of his like archived reviews of John Carpenter movies, he's reviewed most of them and a lot of them he didn't like very much. Um, he seems to have like kind of had a problem with John Carpenter, which um, is kind of funny, but like in this movie um, and like I thought this was so fucking funny. There's a uh, when Nada's like uh got the glasses on and he's like looking at TVs and like seeing kind of like how many of the people on the TV are like these aliens. One of them is like a sort of knockoff version of Siskel and Ebert, and one of them is saying, All the sex and violence on the screen has gone too far for me. I'm fed up with it. Filmmakers like George Romero and John Carpenter have to show some restraint. So he straight up roasted Roger Ebert like in this movie. So maybe dude like recused himself from reviewing it. I'm not sure. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I thought that was super funny. <laughs> Jeez. So yeah. We, if we don't have any more stray notes, we got anybody got any more thoughts on they live? It's hard because like you said, it is, I don't think there is a lot to, to dig deep into. I mean, it is, I do think it's, I mean, if we want to, I don't know how much spoilers we get into, but we get, Oh, we spoiled know, the, the shit ending. out of things. Oh, we can spoil it. I, I appreciate the ending for, for like that. It wasn't like, we, I don't know, I'm not knocking any particular movie because it's, I'm going to say a trope about a movie I love, <laughs> but like, it's not like we killed the queen, uh, you know, secret alien person and that killed all the rest. It's like, no, they, they got rid of the, um, the technology that they blew up the technology that was hiding them. And so now all of a sudden everybody can, everybody can see them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's where the movie ends. And I just think that's such a, a neat way to end the movie, mm-hmm. um, because the, the problem is still there, but now everyone's aware of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. I love that. I actually love, um, and I think we can say this for both of the movies that we're going to talk about is that the ending does not necessarily resolve mm-hmm. anything. Yeah. 
Because yeah, yeah, what they live, it's like okay, well now it's society's responsibility, but what are they gonna do with that responsibility? Mm-hmm. Right, and that in a way is kind of talking directly to you, the viewer. Like, okay, I showed you what's happening, mm-hmm. so now what are you gonna That's do? That's true. <laughs> And clearly nothing. The moral of the story is society. <laughs> can can oh, we no. do anything? Oh, jeez. Oh, no. It got dark. Oops. Yeah. Um. yeah just, John Carpenter is just like, like, just hypothetically listening to this. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's been 30 something years. <laughs> I'm still waiting. <laughs> just tapping his fingers. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's true. Wow. That's a. That's the thing. I mean, this movie doesn't need to go deep because it just it like packs a heavy punch. Like you don't need to right. you don't need to go below the surface because it just hits really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm curious actually. I'm not sure how this movie was received. I mean, it's kind of like you know John Carpenter is just kind of revered, especially in the horror community. But I don't know how. Like one of our friends mentioned when we said we were watching it, um, they're like, "Oh, I didn't know this was horror. I thought it was a silly sci-fi film." And um, I was like, oh, do people think this film is silly? I, I think there might not be. I don't know how, like, the general public views this film. They Because that right. seemed like that might be accurate to, like, how other people see it, you know? We're so mired in horror <laughs> that we have, like, this deep respect for these movies mm-hmm. that the general public kind of just writes off completely and never even watches. So it's really hard to get into the mindset of, like, how does, every, how does the every how does the every man see they live? And it's just like, I don't know. I honestly don't know about what the general reception to a lot of John Carpenter's movies is. Cause like, obviously Halloween was a hit, Yeah. but beyond that, I know. And I know the thing flopped, but huh. beyond that, I'm just like, I don't know how any of his movies actually did because, you know, by the time, by the time I had any awareness of him, like, I think ghosts of Mars had come out by then. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just like this, you know, this was after, like, I, I mean, I'd been watching Halloween, like, you know, every year when I was a kid, but like, and I, and I watched other stuff too, because I love the thing, but I'm just like, Mm -hmm. it's just like, okay, but did these have an impact when they like, you know, all these different movies he released, did they have an impact back then in the eighties and then the nineties when they came out, it's like, they were probably, I mean, I don't think any of them broke box office records, but I don't know. If, and, and like at a certain points, like how aware is anybody of things? Because I know, I mean, I hate, I hate to say this, but I know people who are just like, oh, that came out before I was born. I'm not interested. <laughs> yeah. And that is just such a boring way to look at art. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Like, yeah. yikes. Um, well, and it's interesting because like, it is interesting to people's reaction to I guess like really earnest art too. Mm-hmm. Be- yeah. Especially now. Cause I mean, a lot of stuff's like cynical or tongue in cheek and, and, and this one is very like, very earnest. And, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, like it has a sense of humor. Absolutely. Um, But, but, but it's not like that sense of humor is aimed at what's of the situation that it's presenting. It's just, it's just because the character mm-hmm. has some one liners, but it's not trying to be like, Oh, we're not, we're not, we as the movie makers aren't taking this seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't have to like don't make fun of us or whatever. Mm-hmm. Cause look, we don't actually care either, like uh, some like certain very popular movies these days. Yeah. Yeah, true. So it's just it's it's just like interesting to kind of ponder because I mean, even if people yeah. were to take it seriously, I mean, um, 
it's not like this movie is gonna like change the world or make people like fix problems or anything like that like that's right. not the job of film but it's just right. interesting it's, it's just about. like a, it's just an interesting framework to look yeah. at things through and I think yeah like when like the idea that it's like kind of goofy or like like I just don't look at this whatever. movie like, as camp I, I do you think that yeah. it's like kind of some that's some kind of like poisonous liberal thinking in my mind the idea that like if something is if a concept is like too simple that must mean that it's like not correct like oh but the world is complicated and obviously like well if we tore down capitalism then what would happen tomorrow like kind of situation huh. where, right like, I don't know I, and like I know it's something I've definitely like fallen prey to before like well but there's probably like the people who like are running things probably do actually know what they're doing like kind of situation where like if you look at something like that it might look kind of silly because it's like I don't know or like you know kind of teenager edgy but I do think that's kind of like <laughs> I think that's kind of a, a to think that way I think is maybe a result of some amount of propaganda too hmm. right absolutely and and that's the funny thing like I'm like all right, when I was a teenager, like this kind of thing would have made some people go like, yeah, this like that is how it is because there are these subliminal messages under everything. Mm -hmm. And I and I say that just because of how the matrix was received yeah. when I was when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. That it was just like, oh yeah, you know, we gotta wake up from this, you know, everything that's being told to us. And it's like this is very much that kind of message. So, I mean, I, I don't, I can't speak for, you know, how adolescents would look at it today, but definitely back in the early 2000s, late nineties, and surely the late eighties, it would be looked at as at least by that, you know, population age of just being kind of like, yeah, that's how it is. Hmm. But I don't know, because like things can change so quickly. And the moment you get into college, you start, like you can run into this kind of attitude where it's like, I, oh, like you said, it's, it's too simple. Um, it's too straightforward. Yeah. Well, so I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's also like apt. I feel like that you bring up the matrix because yeah. I think both films we're we talk about today that you picked, like the matrix kind of owes a lot to, to both of them. Oh yeah. Um, we were, yeah, <laughs> we just did watch dark city last night. And when we finished the movie, my wife turned to me and she was like, I didn't want to say it. But I think the Matrix, like, I think the Wachowskis really watched this movie very hard <laughs> I before, before so. the Matrix. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like, you can do a lot of one-to-ones mm. between Dark City and the Matrix. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, they live, too. But it's funny because I'm thinking about it and, like, growing up in, like, uh, like, the evangelical Christian church. I cannot tell you how many sermons brought up the Matrix. <gasps> constant <laughs> constantly so um love that red pill blue pill shit or whatever they love that everybody loves the red pill blue pill but i'm like yeah that's true that's true um but i'm like oh they never brought up like they live would have been great they live would have been great for a sermon but they didn't go for that <laughs> there's even a church in that one that's true a that's good guy true. church i don't i'm guessing they weren't aware i mean that's the i mean that's the thing these two movies um can be revered now but like neither of them were the cultural sensation that the matrix was and which I don't even think was mainly because of the content of the matrix so much as some in some ways the style of the matrix mm. yeah it was very of that time that's true yeah it, it, I think it hit at the like it was 1999 I think when the matrix came out it's like that hit at the right moment to be like 
what was going to look, what was going to be, you know, cool at the time. And especially with the new CGI stuff with like the bullet time and such, we, you mm-hmm. know, um, I know that Blade did it first, but a lot of people didn't see Blade and mm-hmm. that stuff wasn't advertised in, you know, wasn't in the advertisements for Blade as far as I remember. So as far as people were concerned, the Matrix invented that. <laughs> well, 99 was like a wild time for film. Oh, so yeah. much shit came oh, out yeah. that year. All the hits. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, yeah, it does like so many of them have like a, an aesthetic that's like similar to the Matrix in some ways. But it's really <laughs> funny to see that like we're talking about like, I mean, Dark City, they live and the Matrix like uh, are so like they have so much in common, but their aesthetics are so wildly different. I really. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, well, should we talk about Dark City? So we keep uh, teasing it. Dark yeah. City. Yeah. So <laughs> written and directed by Alex Proyas. Um, also, the screenplay was um, also written with Lem Dobbs and David S. Goyer, who um, wrote the Blade trilogy, which um, just like star-studded 90s and uh, early 2000s um, <laughs> names on this one. Um, after waking in a bathtub in a room with a dead body and no memories, John Murdoch begins to piece together the secrets of his own identity and his world, an elaborate simulation overseen by cruel and curious extraterrestrials. Yeah, this one does have a lot in common with the Matrix, but it is so like noir. Mm-hmm. I know. I love. I love the aesthetics of the like the ne- they call. I think they call it neo noir. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of. Um. Just the just the the fashion and the way the um the buildings feel very like Tim Burton's Batman. Oh, absolutely. In some ways. Yeah. Wow. True. <laughs> and just yeah, it's just it's it's a. Uh, even just putting aside, like, just because we were talking about Matrix, Matrix and They Live aesthetics, like, even just putting aside, like, what the movie is at its core, like, just the, just the um, presentation is so visually arresting and interesting. It's a cool world. Like, that set, I would have killed to be on that set. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, what's funny, too, is, like, 
this is like a very strange connection that I'm about to make Haley to um, Queen of Teeth. <laughs> but um, <laughs> so both Candace and I, we, we write notes like separately from each other. We don't look at each other's notes when we're, and we don't usually watch the movies together. Sometimes we do. Um, but we both made notes towards the beginning of, of Dark City about how it kind of felt like a video game like waking up and you're like, okay, orienting myself. Like I could totally see like the first person camera of a video game and you're like picking up items and interacting with them and figuring <laughs> it out. Yes. Um, but my weird connection to Queen of Teeth is that I don't want to like give away anything because obviously like we want people to, bu- to buy this book and read it and and to like discover you as an author. But there is a part in Queen of Teeth um, that I was like, I would kill for this shit to be a video game. <laughs> um, it's kind of like, it's not the end. It's like the almost like false ending moment, you know, like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about with the, uh, the predator engine. Okay. Yeah. How cool would that be though? As a video game that was like, I was like, I would play the shit out of this. Like I would, that was, yeah. So that, that was inspired by the, um, the Mazer tanks from the Godzilla movies. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, love it. In general, like I'm, and just to talk about like just to talk about specifically queen of teeth it would be super funny and i don't think i'm spoiling anything by saying that um it has to do with vagina dentata mm-hmm. i just like and to have a video game experience of like examining your vagina and finding teeth in it <laughs> i would uh i would love slash hate that and like it would make my insides clench up but i would like it, i just like that kind of thing so much damn true <laughs> I would, I, now that you're saying, I hadn't really thought about it, but now that you're saying that it's like, oh, you know, Magenta, the character Magenta would make a good, um, kind of like in some games where you have like a voice kind of being like, you need to go do this Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, in a hopefully not annoying way, but, but it would, you know, that, that make, that would fit there. I also, I, I, and, and I see with dark city, the video game thing, because I feel like, um, a lot of games of that time kind of use like, and, and later too, like, you know, you wake, you don't know what's going on, mm-hmm. like Planescape Torment and some other, like uh, the kind of PC RPGs of the time. Mm. Um, you just kind of had a character who you didn't, you didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what was going on. You just have to piece the world together. Mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah. Amnesia is like, a classic setup for a video game because I mean you really are entering <laughs> the world without knowing anything. That's the whole right. title. Yeah. The titular amnesia. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yes. True. <laughs> I also got Harry Potter vibes from Dark City. Did anyone else get that? Just me? I don't know if I felt Harry Potter in this. I didn't really honestly. <laughs> I didn't feel Harry Potter in this chilies. I feel like I got almost Voldemort vibes from the um the bad the the oh, aliens. The bad guys reminded me of Cenobites because they had like those oh totally I can sick see black robes right. and shit totally. But I guess actually yeah. um they guess, great, like the, was the strangers by great fucking riffraff <laughs> from Rocky Horror Picture Show, which I can totally see now. <laughs> mm-hmm. So oh. funny though. <laughs> I love that. That's a great um inspiration there. I wonder what Kiefer Sutherland's inspiration was for the way he spoke in this film. For taking uh, he's such a neat performance. I don't know. I wish I knew. <laughs> yeah, he's um, he, his. I think his performance is great. I think his, but his like voice is so interesting in this because he does. He's very breathy. 
like right. He's, he's, he's like, it's like very hitched. Like he's kind of like only speaking as he exhales. Yes. I, I guess something like that. Yeah. Totally. And, um, having kind of like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, he's, he, he feels very panicked. And like, <laughs> I was saying to, I was saying to my wife last night, I was like, when does he sleep? <laughs> Yeah. Cause he's yeah. always awake during the tuning. So it's just like, when does he get a chance to sleep? Like, and it's like, that might have something to do with why, why his character behaves the way he Maybe. does. Yeah. His, his brain is addled from, from lack of sleep. <laughs> yeah, I actually, that does make sense that he's kind of losing his fucking mind. I mean, is, I liked the little detail that he spends a lot of time floating in the middle of a pool because that's the mm-hmm. only place these creatures don't like, won't like, come directly up on him mm-hmm. because they don't like water um, yeah like that feels like so fucking anxious um like just the idea that the only place you can get any fucking peace is if you're floating in the middle of a pool of water mm-hmm. maybe that's where he sleeps maybe <laughs> dangerous living life on the edge. right it's like that that like that's the only place he's safe but it's also it's like we're not really water isn't really friendly to us as a species yeah. either yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Haley, when what was your experience like with this? Your first experience with this? This was, I think. I mean, I'd been hearing about it. Like, I'd watched The Crow when I was in college, mm-hmm. and um, I knew people on a forum who were just like, "Oh, you should check out Dark City." Um, if you like, uh, you know, Alex Proyas movie, and I was just like, "Okay, well." And then many years passed. <laughs> But um, I probably first watched it like five years ago or so. And I just, I, I haven't watched it since. So like, and I don't know if anyone saw me gush on Twitter uh, last night, but I was just, I was immediately like, oh my God, I love this movie so much. I completely <laughs> forgot how much I love this movie. It's so, so good. It's a masterpiece. Oh my God. Like, and I'm just like, this is, this might like, I, I don't want to like just jump in there, but it's like, this might be one of my favorite movies that I've watched the least so I'm just like, I need to change that. Yeah. I need to not, not spend so much time between those. Like I was just blown away the first time I saw it. And to the extent that I ended up just not ending up watching it. And so for, for a long time, but yeah, it's just, um, cause I don't, I have not, I don't know which version you guys watched. Um, I haven't watched the theatrical version because I, what I was told was there was a, um, a little card at the beginning that kind of explained the whole premise of the like of that that they've been um yeah they do by like extraterrestrial they do a little <clears throat> fucking i don't know like star wars yeah, kind so, of like so i've been yeah so i've been warned not to watch the theatrical cut mm-hmm. um so i just watched the director's cut they don't explain shit at the beginning okay, of the yeah movie. that makes it because like the fucking title card does not help you like <laughs> like no what like it, it did like it defines like the tuning or whatever but like why I, yeah it definitely felt like a fucking producer like, yeah like sort of yeah like it was definitely like uh, yeah. people are going to be confused by this we have to help I them i hate that i hate that so much because it's like you know so many like not the artists themselves but the people kind of like pushing it out into the world have such little faith in people's intelligence mm-hmm. and i know that there's a lot of people who demonstrate like well look at how people are behaving especially you know during this pandemic (laughs) but at the same time it's like yeah but when you when you don't give them the chance to demonstrate that intelligence it lowers the the expectations even more and just it's just a vicious cycle so it's like just give people a chance to 
you know, figure it out for themselves. People, people can do that. They're capable of doing that. That's a good point. And I, I, I feel like this movie kind of even goes <laughs> further than that. And this movie kind of questions like the ethics of that decision at all, even if someone isn't like what you would deem like, oh, you're good enough to be able to do this for yourself. Like, I feel like this film is just like, it's wrong to restrict that at all, no matter, yeah. no matter basically like what you think of this, this group of people or whatever, you know, like you cannot impose that except, oh, well, I don't think except, but it's the mood, the end of the film, I feel, feel like is really sinister given that theme because yes. it's perpetuating. He's the, he's still making decisions for everyone. It's eerie. Yeah, it's and you definitely but... don't like see anything where he's like chosen like to do things differently or like um or at least like where he's chosen to like give people any more freedom. Cause no one can see like it's it's almost a weird juxta- it's a perfect juxtaposition of they live because at the end of they live, everyone can see what are they gonna do about it. And this ending, he has chosen the reality he wants. And yeah, sure, he's probably gonna be a more benevolent ruler than the aliens, but he's still a ruler. So it was interesting. Yeah, yeah. I was also dying. I, like, man's just wanted to go to the fucking beach. <laughs> I which I can't blame him. Consider, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but I I mean I do think um, it is a little different because the bigger thing than I, I think on on a certain level the bigger thing than the city being something that can be morphed or the tuning and stuff is the messing with the memories and trying to decide who's going to have this role, what personality and such Mm -hmm. and what memories. And like, you know, at that point it can't happen anymore because that the facility for that has been destroyed. Um, But that, I mean, that shoot that um, goes to what you were saying, like this kind of idea of like, well, we'll just make someone be what, what we want them to be, or we'll assume that they'll be what we want them to be is, is what is the more sinister side of the movie. Obviously like it sucks that they're on this freaking like disc in space um, and they don't even remember earth. And like, that's one of those neat details. It's like, cause we know where they came from, but they never know. Mm-hmm. They, none yeah. of them ever find out about earth. None of them know where they came from. Mm-hmm. It's just, and that's, that's interesting, but but yeah, like, like you're seeing with the end, like, um, I was thinking about that too at the, at the end. I think, I think I, it feels like he kind of is not going to bother doing anything, which sometimes maybe that's for the best to not have somebody, uh, in like who's, who's taking charge. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm not, sh- I'm not sure. Um, I, I think that, but I, I do think like at least, uh, at least they're trying something new. But you are right that like nobody, nobody is awake. Nobody knows what's going on. But at the same time, it's not like he can give them answers either. That's true. I mean, he doesn't know where they he, came from. He doesn't right. know. He, he doesn't even have any implanted memories, really, except for the what I feel is like the amazing climax where uh, Dr. Schreiber puts the other like injects him with the other syringe and you get all the like kind of like this this. uh modified sequence of memories of a childhood of being trained in his in the tuning and stuff Mm -hmm. like that's just like I was practically bouncing in my seat during (laughs) this he's like yeah yeah yeah. do it yeah um it's so (laughs) exciting to see just like that kind of like all these elements that have been set up in the movie come together for something like that Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't mean to like not like 
I don't mean to not analyze. I don't mean to just like, oh my God, wasn't this so cool? <laughs> oh, it is cool. <laughs> but though. sometimes, yeah. Well, yeah, and sometimes that's just how it is with movies. Just, just like, like, oh my God, that was amazing. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like cosmic horror wise, the idea that like, okay, so first of all, yeah, like the noir aesthetic is cool as fuck, especially like the idea that like they've created this like massive city that's like these people's entire world mm-hmm. and it's in perpetual darkness. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's, um, that's so claustrophobic. It's so claustrophobic. And it's so like fucking dream logic. The idea yeah. that like, they all think they know how to navigate outside the city. But when like he asks them how to get to the beach, they, none of them can figure it out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, that like, you know, he's like, when is the last time you remember it being daytime? And like, no one can, recall mm-hmm. like they think that there is daytime but there never is um, yeah and then like kind of culminating and yeah like he fucking rips down like the the barrier to the world and there's just fucking outer space like i love that that scene. is so horrifying oh yeah that's such a well because first he rips away the poster and it's just brick mm-hmm. and then he's like no no no, we gotta go deeper i love that they immediately are like fuck no they're yeah. like hammering through the wall there's just hammers there. yeah I love, I love that scene that's such a good moment it's a great reveal yes and just like the utter panic of that moment of just like it's the culmination yeah. of how claustrophobic you're feeling and they're feeling and and then you just claw to get out and yeah there truly is nothing yeah. Yeah. Like right. what if you were like trying so hard to fucking tunnel down to like the meaning of, of your, like the sum of your experiences and it's just like a gaping vacuum. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I, I, as far as cosmic goes, it's interesting both how much control the strangers have over all the, the humans, mm-hmm. but also how they misunderstand humans so deeply and and they're in a situation where like they you know dr schreiber says their species is dying mm-hmm. um so they're trying this whole thing just to um to kind of save themselves but they don't even really know what they're doing so they're they're screwing with all these people's lives ultimately for nothing and there's just something so like just nihilist and disturbing <laughs> about that like, cause it's just so, and like it, so in that regard, I look at the ending as a positive thing, but in, mm. in just, just compared to the, just the, the, the sheer like overworld apathy that, that comes from the strangers treating everyone the way they do um, and just playing with their lives and not, and like he says at the end, like you weren't even looking in the right place this whole time. You didn't even know what you were doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, I do, I think you're right that the ending is kind of hopeful in a way because it also builds up, like it builds up this like emptiness and like pointlessness. Yeah, like the like the the futility <laughs> of the fact that these people were like taken here to do these experiments and they're fucking worthless, like entirely. Um right. the, the, like the concept that like all of this control is there um to also keep you from realizing your potential. Um, Mm -hmm. like the, from realizing that you can fucking do whatever you want and you can be whatever you want because nothing matters. Like the, the part of the meaning you've been handed is, um, to limit you. It's like prescribed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I do think that's that's kind of hopeful. Yeah. It feels like now (laughs) I can fucking do whatever I want. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's the part, like that whole, like prescribed future essentially is 
what kind of I feel pulls it back to real life because we have this idea of like, okay, you are 18, <laughs> figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and you only have these choices based on these cer- set circumstance that set circumstances that the society has handed you, but also we act like you chose like, why did you, why were you born poor? Why did you choose that mm-hmm. is kind of how, is how it's treated. And it's just like, it is just this pointless level of control, except it does have a purpose. It is to keep, keep people in, in place. The ideas that it presents are pointless. Like it's yeah. just, it's, it's, it's the same. Like we have so many systems in place that don't amount to anything except exhausting people for no reason, <laughs> but except exhausting people is the reason well it's such an interesting time to be talking about those movies anyway too because you know we're talking about the pandemic a little bit and just you know all the workers that are like fuck you i'm not gonna work for you know eight dollars an hour or whatever and it's like that same thing where they're like this is arbitrary you're making these these limits that don't have to be there right keeping me miserable Mm -hmm. and i've seen that like you don't know what the fuck you're doing I've seen this whole year and a half that you don't know just as much as I don't know. So like what makes you the one on top? So yeah, for sure. And the moment you make that decision, that's when you can, that's when you can look in the mirror and be like, you can tune. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, totally. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. You do have, you have your own fucking crazy chosen one telekinetic powers and that is (laughs) well you can you can make your own reality in a way and not in the bad like i'm going to believe all these conspiracy theories way but Mm -hmm. in the way that you can chart your future totally yeah and then in a way like i've always kind of felt like conspiracy theories are like their own form of propaganda and control because you feel like oh totally something just by you know quote unquote knowing something when really like the way that you manipulate your circumstances is by doing shit you know like refusing yeah. to participate in things um, and doing something that you're told you can't do. Yeah. So just like sitting around being like, well, I know about the reptilians. Um, that doesn't do anything at all. Yeah, totally. Right. It keeps you immobilized. <laughs> yeah. I, I suppose if the strangers had understood humans better, they would have had a faction of humans that was like, it's actually good that we don't know where we're how to get out of the city <laughs> or something like that. But, you know, yeah, they would have weaponized the humans against themselves. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. But if they if they'd understood that to that extent, they probably could have actually figured out what the hell it is that they were trying to figure out in the first place. <laughs> and it probably wouldn't have been at like it would have been depressing in a different way, but it wouldn't have been this nihilist emptiness that is their their futile um attempts to like find like the soul um which is like it's just like you it's not a medical thing mm-hmm. um like the 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 idea of individuality the idea of you know purpose is not something that you can find in a, in a particular organ is is essentially the the you know what the movie is presenting at the end it's just like you can't um it is the fact that people can persevere and such is, is what makes, makes people interesting and different and have their own sense of self. And like, that's one of those things that I find really interesting also with the movie is the whole situation with Mr. Hand after they put the, you know, made up John Murdoch memories into him, he starts acting out 
like like they wanted John Murdoch to act mm-hmm. like you know he he kills the sex worker, you know he's just a complete creep and stuff. But it's just like, but if you're just following along with those memories, you're you could you, you know the strangers are still missing the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's kind of the other aspect of it is that like they're trying to make him a serial killer, <laughs> and he like just knows that that's not what he is like at core. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. Like how they're trying to like induce criminality in him, like in some way. And that literally is something that happens. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like they, they throw people in circumstances like, well, you're like this, therefore you're a criminal. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we, you don't have to have done anything yet. We just know because mm-hmm. we've set you up to fail. Yeah. We yeah. put you in the database. Like literally. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> It's a good one. These are depressing movies. No, I know. <laughs> they're good. Though. When you when you I know, but they're like, so when you compare good. it to real life, like the movies themselves are have like have I feel like hopeful endings, mm. but like when you apply them to real life, it's just like oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's always you know, yeah. <laughs> it gets rough when you compare it to real life. That's true. It's always dangerous to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you take the little shit where you can get it. Hmm. <laughs> Well, what do you guys think that um, Roger Ebert gave Dark City um, out of, I think, four possible stars? I think he went out of four stars. Mm. Mm. The mind of Roger Ebert. Who can know it? I'm going to say two stars because he gets, he... I don't know. I don't. I, I mean, maybe it's not giving enough credit to Roger Ebert. I'm not sure. But we never give like, enough. We never know how much credit to. I never know strange Roger Ebert. Sometimes he surprises me. Right, because sometimes he's very elitist about stuff, and other times he is like, "The Mummy was a terrible movie, and I loved every second of it." <laughs> yeah. So, like, that's yes. pretty much his review of the 1999 <laughs> The Mummy. So it's just like, and, and like, I'm like, that's fair. Yeah. Um. But I just never know what to expect with mm-hmm. him. I, I I think I've always had like this chip is like, you didn't like Godzilla. And I don't mean 1998 Godzilla. I mean the old Godzilla. You had, you said not nice things. So I'm just like, I don't trust you with genre movies. Mm-hmm. So I honestly have no idea. Okay. Huh. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I would, because like he didn't, yeah, he is kind of, interesting unreadable inscrutable taste mm-hmm. perhaps but um it's also this movie isn't like like he famously hated anything that w- what i would call like hard horror right yeah he reacts badly mm-hmm. to violence yeah he doesn't like violence but this film is very um the themes are kind of violent and heady but but there's not like violence in the film like you know like physical kind of violence right. so much yeah that- like the only, I honestly, I think that the main violence happens to a couple of the strangers. Yeah. Um, the one who gets like his, the top of his head sliced, the one who gets oh, yeah, crushed between true. the buildings. I forgot about that. So it does and, exist. Uh, it does exist, but it doesn't really happen to like the humans as much. Like obviously the inspect, inspector Bumstead, you know, dies when he gets sucked into the void. Right. But, right. um. But, like, it's not the same as, like, the bloody deaths that we see from, mm-hmm. like, what happens to the strangers in a couple scenes. 
yeah. or getting melted by water, like the Wicked Witch with uh, Mr. Book. Oh my God, love it. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> they are so like kind of... Um, it's almost like a fantasy violence, I guess. And so like, and I, I yeah. feel like he doesn't really react poorly to that. Cause it's, it's almost, it's like a dream. Like the whole thing's like a dream. The yeah. themes are, I feel like there's a lot to work with as far as discussion and like thinking about this. It's film. a very smart movie. So I would, I'm going to say a three. I'm going to say you gave it a three. Okay. That's what I'm going to say. Let's see. What did he give? <laughs> he gave it four stars. He gave it four oh, stars. Oh, wow. Nice. He loved it. Yeah. He um, is big into the aesthetics of it, like the effects and everything, which obviously we were too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Then he also really liked like that there was kind of a lot to chew on thematically. I think he kind of says, uh, what's like, I thought the last sentence was cool. Um, he said, um, watching it, I realized the last dozen films I'd seen were about people standing around talking to one another. Dark City has been created and imagined as a new visual place for us to inhabit. It adds treasure to our notions of what can be imagined. That's true. Aww, that's really cool. Wow. Good on you, Roger Ebert. <laughs> yeah, Ebert there. did not actually let it's... us down on this one. You know what? Now that now that you've said that last sentence, I'm kind of like real. I I am. I, um... I'm revising a manuscript right now mm-hmm. um, that I that I've signed with. I, I can't talk about mm-hmm, it. Yet, mm-hmm. They haven't announced. They're going to announce it's a secret, so it'll probably be it'll be announced by the time this podcast <gasps> is up, probably. Okay. But um, I'm like looking at. I, I'm like doing it now, and I'm, now that we've watched this, now that you just said that, I'm like, oh, I wonder if this movie is why I wrote <laughs> some of the visuals the way I did into the book Ooh, because, totally because I that. did really fall in love with the aesthetic of this movie. And I'm just like, I didn't really make that link before, but now I'm just like, cause like it, it, the, the, it's, it's kind of like in, in, in dark city, like you could swap out those aesthetics for something else because it is, it has this sci-fi um, setup. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just like, but so when you say it, when or Roger Ebert says like, it is this, you know, visual world for us to inhabit. It's like, I think I accidentally did that without realizing that I was doing that. So I'm just like, okay, well, that would have helped earlier. I could have used Dark City as a comp. But, oh, well, now, you know, it's, it's, it's been signed. So whatever. Uh, it all works out. I'm so amazing. I love this. Wait, Haley, is this the one? I feel like you tweeted recently something where you said something about like finishing a draft and you're like, this one's very, this one was depressing. Like it has the depressed. Is this, I don't even know if you can answer this question, but is this the. No, that was something newer. Okay. Um, this, this, okay. this book's, this book's a bit older. Okay. Um, like that I did start probably four or five years ago. So it was probably a few months after I watched Dark City and I just don't think that it planted that visual seed in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, no, this is this. I can't. I can't you can't uh, say anything. I right know it's okay. Yeah, I can't say anything yet, but you'll find out really <laughs> soon. Okay. Um, and people listening to this, if they follow me, will will have already seen about it. But like, but I'm just I'm letting you know. I guess when the next announcement goes up, it's like that's that's kind of where this. I just realizing now, <laughs> it's like, well, that's kind of neat because I love this movie. So I'm like, I don't feel bad about that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, especially it blows my fucking mind that this came out right before The Matrix. Right? It's a year. Mm-hmm. It's just a year. And it's they and they look so different, but they have like I, I don't want to I don't want to diss the string. I don't want to diss the Matrix too much. But at the same time, I'm just like, this is really 
there's a lot of like the strangers as the agents, the, um, you know, the kind of the space city as the matrix itself. Um, you know, the, the, how you could put the chips into your head in the matrix and how the, um, syringes could, uh, inject memories yeah. in, in, uh, yeah. And just like, and it's interesting how they kind of flipped what was important because like the memory stuff wasn't a big deal in the matrix. It was kind of just an element of like kind of pushing forward some character development or, or skills. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in, in, in uh, dark city, it's the key to the climax. Whereas being able to control elements of the world is something that John can do pretty early in dark city. Whereas that's the key to the climax of the matrix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. They're like inverted like a mirror mm-hmm. image kind of thing yeah, yeah. but although personally i will the say wavelength right like i mean yeah because obviously these came out like a year apart and like right so the matrix came- had already be underway yeah and mm-hmm. like i'm sure so i th- yeah. do think sometimes people's uh people just are like i don't know i just think sometimes the zeitgeist is right for like a right really similar things to come out at the and same that happened time a bit in the late 90s like we had two like big volcano movies around the same time mm-hmm. we had um there's something else that i can't recall but there's two there's something else where it was like very two very similar oh um two we had armageddon and deep impact i mm-hmm. think came, like two two big asteroid movies came out around <laughs> the same time so just that this the kind of this is a little more like a little weirder that something so similar would cut to two movies so similar would come out but um you know, it's, it does happen. Mm-hmm. Um, although personally I prefer, I prefer dark city. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's just me. No, I think it's a great movie. It's, I think people should so watch good. it. It's, yeah. Um, and I can't, literally can't believe I didn't know about it before. Mm-hmm. Same. Okay. So. I think with Alex Proyas, everybody kind of like is like the crow and then it's just, they don't really, I mean, he hasn't had the career I think he should have had. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just because The Crow is such kind of like an infamous movie, mm-hmm. that kind of just is what any, t- if you hear about Alex Proyas, people are just gonna be like The Crow. And that's all the attention is going to get. It's like, well, he, he did make other movies. Just, <laughs> you know, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> I find that most people, though, don't, with the exception of a handful of directors, most people like, just will watch a movie and like have no knowledge of like where it came from. Like they don't, they're not interested in who the director is or who the writer is or who the cinematographer is. Do you know what I mean? Like people do not think of those threads unless it's like a household name that they've, that they already know, like George Lucas (laughs) or something, you know? Right. I have a hard time processing that. I think sometimes like my lens is so creator focused Mm -hmm. that I kind of forget that a lot of people don't care about that. (laughs) So like I, whenever I'm having a, trying to have a conversation about that kind of thing, I'm still like, like I was trying to hype up Christopher Nolan back when Batman Begins came out because it's like, Oh, he made Memento. Mm -hmm. And people are like, and you have to say that you have to say it's the person who did this so that they'll be like, Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> which is why, you know, on posters or even books, you'll see from the, you know, director of mm-hmm. blank, blank, because otherwise people aren't going to, isn't, they're not going to click. Whereas if they get big enough, then they can be like, 
you know, Steven Spielberg's and whatever mm-hmm. the title is, because that doesn't matter as much. John Carpenter's whatever. He always right. put his name from <laughs> <laughs> in front of it. Or sometimes my favorite is when it's like you're watching a trailer and it's like from the um the team that brought you. And I'm always like, wait a second. Yeah, like what does that mean? What is the right, team? Exactly. The team? Does that mean like one producer who happened to be vaguely involved with this other thing you're name dropping? Or does that mean like right? And sometimes I'll see reviews make fun of that. Be like, yeah, from three of the seven writers of this popular movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's sneaky, but I mean, hey, whatever. Brand your film. Do you? You know, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, I'll find out. Oh, we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> the, the people who nobody listens to us, like cinephiles and whatever, we'll find <laughs> out. And then we'll we'll tell the masses and then they will continue to ignore That's us. It. <laughs> yeah. Only we care, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah, which is another kind of funny thing. Just um, thinking about that on that line of that, like Dark City feels the need, that, like the theatrical version feels the need to explain everything to you before it starts. Because like, who is like in it to watch this movie? Who's gonna be like, oh fuck it, I don't know what's going on. Goodbye. Like, right? I think it's gonna. Be I feel fun. like somebody's gonna like this movie. They're gonna figure it out. Right. And that's, and it's one of those things where I'm just like, do the producers think that if they go into, if you start a murder mystery movie, people are going to be like, I can't watch this. I don't understand who did it. I don't, I don't know who the murderer is. So it's like, not everything needs to be an episode of Columbo. Yeah. Can you imagine Um, like a Miss Marple or whatever? And they're like, and this was the killer. Okay, here we go. Rewind. I'm just wondering how I got here. (laughs) I'm just like, imagine, imagine scream. If like, if, if Billy and Stu just like mug at the camera at the beginning and hold up a knife and like we are the ones who are doing it and then and then the movie starts oh my god it's very important that someone tells you that the shadows on the wall are not real before you um before you look behind you in the cave you know I, I, mm-hmm. I feel like there's some producers who really do look as just like this is going to confuse everybody it's like it's really not like I think if people can watch, uh, like, I'm going to jump back to Christopher Nolan. I think if people can watch Inception and Interstellar, they can figure out some of this other stuff. Like, it just, I just don't think that producers are giving. Also, the, people like to know. be, I mean, I don't know. I like to be confused. That's why I consume genre fiction yep. of, like, any kind. I like <laughs> to start in the middle and be like, what the fuck has happened? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I want to, I want to get a chance to piece things together. I want, I want to have, I want to have red herrings. I want to have hints that end up turning, like, they didn't seem important, but they turned out to be important or things yeah. that seemed important and they were, but in a different way than I thought. Like, yeah. you know, I, and it's just like, we don't, I don't know. I think this is a, this is a giant rant that like <laughs> go on forever because it's just like, it's so frustrating. It's like, if you give people the chance to figure things out, then they will. And then they'll be better equipped to figure things, even more complicated things out. And then that helps with critical thinking. Critical and thinking. Oh wait, that's the whole that's the whole point of why they don't do that because they don't want people to to have those skills. Man, Haley, you're gonna get me on my soapbox about like why fiction is way more important than nonfic, which we don't want to hear me rant about. But I will say that, like, yeah, like it's reading true, though. or watching a movie, like I don't know, like me reading your book, Haley. That's like an exercise in trust. Like I trust you to guide me through the story, however you. Aww. Do it. And like, you know, sometimes 
I read a book and I'm like, I never made it out of there. I never, it didn't make sense or whatever. But like, for the most part, like it's still a good exercise that's worth doing. And by the way, that oh, yeah. was the experience of your books. Like I very much, it paid <laughs> off, like loved them both, <laughs> totally got the world. Oh, but, yeah. but yeah, you start off like, I don't know what's happening and that's, that's okay. Like I, I will learn, I will be guided through the wilderness. Right. I mean, and it's not even being like, okay, everything should be, you know, a David Lynch film. <laughs> Um, oh, no, no. Like not saying that either, but yeah. I just, I think there's, I think there's, like you said, it's, I think there's room for an exercise in trust. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, we don't have to be like so fastidious about like understanding every plot turn that like, if you miss something, it's fucking ruined. Like, <laughs> or, or there can know. be just ambiguity to things like, like Queen of Teeth, for example, like um, someone asked me, is the situation with, with Yaga and Magenta, is it, sibs or is it something to do with the injection that she'd had the month before Mm -hmm. and I'm just like it's you know I left it ambiguous Mm -hmm. for a reason like because it's not something that derails the plot if you don't know it and it is something that you can think about if you want to or or other possibilities it's interesting and it also adds I mean like not like realism is the only point right but you want to feel grounded in the story and you if if everything is explained that does not feel realistic or grounding at all because in real life you don't know anything that's right, happening like life isn't too <laughs> so like i like when it's yeah it's up to interpretation because that's kind of how we live anyway so yeah yeah i think that t- i think that all ties back to these two movies as well oh, so yeah good good job us i mean good job you you're the one that picked it and you're also the one that wrote the book so good job Haley. oh yes great <laughs> that, job. that's not what i meant but thank <laughs> you <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, honestly, like I'm gonna say, like we kind of have like two double features. If you want a literary double feature, yes. I I totally would recommend. I mean, um, please, Queen of Teeth, Haley's newest. Um, I also recommend The Worm and His Kings. I think yeah. that they're good. Um, like if you wanna, if you wanna read those suckers back to back and have like a good like literary double feature, I think that's tight. That's I also think that um, they live in Dark City. It's a really good combination. And if you do them close together, I mean, I did. I highly recommend it. Same. Tear down the walls of your perception. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. We also didn't mention at all, and I will mention, just in case we have, like, romance fans, that, like, the romance of Queen of Teeth is, like, on point. It's, like, a beautiful disaster romance. And, like, people need to also be into it for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad you said that. Cause like, I, like, I didn't, I had not read any romance and especially not like, you know, semi erotic romance mm -hmm. before the pandemic, Mm -hmm. but, um, I got hooked on this podcast, the, the sexy books podcast that Claire Holland, Holland. um, yeah. And I know that's where the title of uh, this podcast comes from is her book. Not, I am not your final girl. And that she does with her friend Blythe. And it's just like, what it's such a nice like peaceful podcast but also it's just like you know turning me towards this whole like genre that I was just like had not paid attention to and I like not only was reading it but I was like studying it because I was just like I want to understand it's like I want to do some of this so so I you know I I had to kind of that was the research that went into that hmm. sounds weird. That was the research that went into Queen of Teeth. It wasn't the science fiction stuff. It was in the horror stuff. It was the it was the erotic romance yes. stuff. Thank you. And and I know people. It's funny because people 
it, I don't think that gets, I talk, I don't think I talk that up as much because I'm afraid of scaring people off. Huh. Um, whereas like the Worminous Kings, people know that like the main character is looking for her girlfriend who's been missing and people are fine to get engaged with a love story like that. But that's like, that's has love in it. It's not a romance. Like Queen of Teeth is, yeah, it's romance. It but is. I've been, I've been kind of like dodgy about how much I want to like I emphasize that mm-hmm. depending on the the people I'm talking to because you don't know who's gonna go like, oh, never mind. <laughs> it's like don't never mind. There's a three way with a vagina monster. <laughs> no, it's it's perfect. It's I don't even so good. It's like and when I say that there's it contains monster fucking. It's like so much more in depth than that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> And I mean, I do love plain monster fucking too, but it has like just much uh, complexity. It does. <laughs> yeah. And transformation and yeah, no. And I'm not even a, not, not to knock it or anything, but I'm not a huge romance person. I don't really read the romance genre. Um, It's just not my thing. I'm just into like hard sci-fi horror, all that shit. But um, that's mostly me too. Yeah. But I mean, I'm just saying that to say like, as someone who doesn't read that genre, like I was still very into the, that, like I ship them for sure. I love, because they're, (laughs) they're both fucked up, very different. Like they're automatically on that, like the opposite end and it's established pretty quickly. Oh fuck. Mm. I just fucked this person. Like, do you know what I mean? Like that mess. And it's so good. It's like so compelling. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Also like, I mean, we were talking about this, um, we were talking about this with our friends the other day, like loving, um, loving a, a like story with a nihilistic, like morally questionable man uh, as the main character. And Ariel was like, I don't need it to be a man. I'm like, I'm like, you know, pansexual for morally questionable characters. <laughs> yeah, it is true. Like, oh, God. Yeah, I, I love Doc. I just like the way that like it kind of like keeps unfolding where you're like, oh no, it's getting worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, these honestly, the 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 main trio of Queen of Teeth was probably the most fun I've had mm-hmm. writing the main characters of a book ever. Mm-hmm. Um I it's it, they're just a blast uh to because because they are so morally questionable they are they are in such a gray area in their own ways and Yaya is just a disaster of a person which is just (laughs) wonderful like and it was it was a struggle writing her because I I couldn't control her either (laughs) um like I I'd write something that was my plan and then I'd have to backtrack a couple (laughs) chapters and just be like no no that's not what she would do and it's so annoying but it turned out fine. And she, and she's just, she was just really enjoyable. Just sink into her like, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm upset. So I'm just going to down a whole like foot long meatball marinara and not it. remember it. Yes. Relatable. Well, and she's so like, <laughs> it's funny. This is like my favorite type. This is seriously, this character is like my type for sure is like a character who's like a disaster, but is super charismatic and also like just very capable. Like that person will be mm. a tornado but they'll, they'll exist forever. They'll exist in perpetuity if you just kind of leave the tornado alone. Mm-hmm. And so like, but of course, who wants to leave that tornado alone? Like you're in oh, right. and it'll be sucking you in. That's what they do. <laughs> That's the thing. So I just, but I love it because she's like, she handles her shit, but it's just like, she's unpredictable and you don't know how she's going to handle her shit at all. It's great. <laughs> oh, all of that means the world to me. So thank you. <laughs> oh, of course. I mean, thanks for writing. It's yeah. been a really fun time.
Yeah. Well, yeah, that's um aside from um aside from these books we've been talking about, um, do you have anything else you would like to plug? Where can people follow you if they would like to do that? Um, yeah. what other stuff can can people find from you? Sure. Um, I've got I'm gonna I'm gonna have stories in a couple upcoming anthologies like uh, Lost Contact, which I mentioned that will have a short story set in the world of Queen of Teeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm always blanking on what other short stories are coming out, and so I feel terrible to the editors. Um, but I'm I'll have um, my Splatter Western from Death's Head Press will be coming out early next year. Cruel Angels Past Sundown. Oh shit! Okay, um, that's a title, and that'll there. be I love it. <laughs> and that'll be that'll be another, uh, all of my stuff. You know, my my whole thing is make horror gay as fuck. So like, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. you already know what kind of stuff's gonna be in it. <laughs> Um, and then a couple things for next year that I, I can't talk about yet because they're not announced, but okay. people should just be, should people just watch out? Yes. <laughs> they're going to be announced at some point. Yes. Um, and then I'm, uh, I have, my website is www.haleypiper.com and I'm on Twitter at Haley Piper says, and on Instagram at Haley Piper fights. Fuck yeah. All right. So yeah, give Haley a follow so you can keep up with all the new stuff that's going to be coming out mm-hmm. and check out Queen of Teeth and um, and The Worm and His Kings. If you are, um, if you're into, basically, if you're into any of the themes we were talking about today, yep. um, if you like fucking disaster gaze, <laughs> if you uh, like body <laughs> horror mm-hmm. um, and cosmic horror and all that kind of shit, um, which I don't know why you got to the end of this episode if you don't. Um, yeah, <laughs> true. So. Um, yeah, check those out um, in the places where you get books. Mm-hmm. Um, and otherwise, thanks to Claire C. Holland, as always, for our namesake, Not Your Final Girl, from her book of horror-themed poems called I Am Not Your Final Girl. You can follow her at Claire C. Writes on Twitter, and you can also buy I Am Not Your Final Girl at the places where you buy books. Thanks to Brian Demarest for in our that. super cool icon and artwork um, with our cool vampire girl. And you can follow him at Evil Flynn on Instagram. And he takes commissions if you want some of his artwork for your own. Uh, thanks to Pat Spurlock um, for being technical and emotional support. You can follow him at Phantom Stranger on Facebook. And thanks to our network, which is called Morbidly Beautiful, which you can follow at XMorbidBeautyX on Twitter. And then also just Morbidly Beautiful on Facebook. And uh, check out the other shows on the network. There's plenty of horror podcasts and also horror writers to check out. And um, also, as always, thanks to Ariel Dyer, my co-host, for writing our intro and outro songs, which you're about to hear called Under Your Skin. And that is on Spotify, Apple Music. It's also on Bandcamp if you want to spend money on it. Mm -hmm. So toss Ariel some bucks. Toss Ailey yeah. some bucks, read their books, and well, read their, just listen to music. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Check consume, their shit. Their, consume their media. Consume. consume. Obey. <laughs> oh, God. Wait, I think you were going to add, were you going to add another plug? I'm sorry. I did not mean to interrupt you with the outro. No. Oh, no. Yeah, like, I, I just was going to be like that person shouting from the back of the auditorium. Like, I Claire's love awesome. It. Yes, she is. <laughs> we had her on the podcast like kind of early on because we had asked her you know, i listened to that episode really? i i had to stop it because i hadn't watched the movie yet and then like you guys started talking it's like oh, i better i should probably watch this movie <laughs> first yeah we do, we do spoil that one in depth um we we did uh what you're next with with her right yeah yeah and i have watched it i have watched it since then 
So yeah. <laughs> so I'm, yeah, I need I to go back and nice. get that. Like, cause I've listened to other episodes for once that I've watched mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. movies, but I like, I need to go back and finish that episode so I can find out what you guys all said about your next. Yeah, Claire is rad and, and listen to her podcast too. The, um, sexy books, sexy books podcast. Hell yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're talking about sexy books on this episode. So great tie-in. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So that's it for today. Um, we'll be back um in two weeks with another one. And yeah. we'll see you then. So oh, you can also follow us on stuff, I guess. Um, NYFG Pod <laughs> on Twitter and Instagram. That Forgot your to on Facebook. Forgot to self-plug, but you can check us out there yeah. in the meantime. And till then. Later, ghouls. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Skin.